Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can inspire and motivate and make our world more just, equitable, and inclusive. But too often, marketing perpetuates the status quo for a select few rather than disrupting it for the greater good of all. This show looks to change that. Join me, your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, as we usher in a new era of marketing, an era of marketing for good. Like many of you, I look forward to the words to avoid and banish lists when they come out every year. They offer a super interesting snapshot or retrospective of the year in our rearview mirror. And 2020 being what it was, <laughs> this year's lists are like they're like a magnifying glass for the weirdness that was and still lingers. So I thought it would be fun for us to spend a little time with the words and phrases that are on a few of these lists just to see what we might learn from them. So Lake Superior State University has compiled a list every year since 1976. So they're the senior ranking member of these lists. Big Duck Consulting has been specific to nonprofits and social impact organizations. And since many, if not all listeners care about making uh, the world a better place, I thought that would be a good one for us to take a look at together. And then Dictionary.com and many others, but, you know, I happen to kind of resonate with uh, with dictionary.com's list this year uh, for reasons that we'll that we'll chat about. So we're going to look at these three lists, hear what words they come up with. But but first, I think it's important to to like look at what do these lists really mean? Cuz it's not actually despite the name <laughs> about banishing or completely avoiding so much as being mindful. Now, by the way, Mindful is something we're going to talk about in our next episode when I share my conversation with Jeff Krasno. He's the CEO of Commune, which is a mindfulness and well-being community online. And also there's an app for that, which if you haven't checked it out and you're interested in well-being or being healthy or mindfulness or any of those things, I highly encourage you to check out. If you're having trouble sleeping, you might just look at their resources on Yoga Nidra. Game changing. Okay, I digress. So the lists, you can interpret the information from these lists as you might the information you get when you use the Wordifier, right? So the Wordifier is that online tool that I created, which tells you which words, if if you're a nonprofit, so it looked at all the words on 2,503 nonprofit websites, because that allowed us to generalize at a 95% confidence interval to the entire nonprofit sector. So you clack in a word and it will say, should you you know, use it as much as you want, use it with caution or avoid it. And again, similar to these lists, when we say avoid, basically what it's saying is, hey, that word's used a lot, right? And the reason that matters is because the more something is used, including words, the less we notice it, okay? The less we notice it. So for instance, how many times have I used the word and in this podcast so far? probably haven't even noticed or noticed the word, you know, or, and that's because those are function words. They're functional, like a comfy, well-worn sofa. You don't really like notice it when you use it, but it's there for you whenever you need or want to. Uh, and you don't really have to give it much thought, right? It's just there. So these words actually make up the vast majority of the words we use. According to James Penny Baker, who's a professor at a University of Texas, Austin, or Houston, I forget, UT. Function words account for less than one-tenth of one percent of your vocabulary, but make up almost 60% of the words you use. 
So these are ubiquitous and you don't notice them. So if you're thinking about trying to get somebody's attention, right, with your marketing and your messaging, yes, you're going to have to use them. They're functional. However, you just need to know that folks aren't going to pay attention to them. What about the word mindfulness or mindful? You might not know exactly how many times I've used it in this episode, but you know what? You'd probably be able to guesstimate pretty darn well because mindfulness and mindful are what's referred to as content words. And therefore they are used much less often and therefore our brains notice them. All right, make sense? So as we think back on 2020 and we think forward to 2021, what can we learn in terms of which words and phrases will pique the brain's interest and which might be ignored or worse, which might just straight up irritate your audience if you use them? <laughs> Single words off these lists will be content words, whereas the phrases might be a combo, like we will be a combo of content and function words. Okay. So each list is a little bit different in its intent. So let's start with Lake Superior. Again, senior ranking member. So they say on their website that they curate a list, a list each year and I quote, to uphold, protect, and support excellence in language by encouraging avoidance of words and terms that are overworked, redundant, oxymoronic, cliched, illogical, nonsensical, and otherwise ineffective, baffling, or irritating. (laughs) Oh my. With that, here's their list. In the number one spot, COVID, COVID COVID-19, and all variations thereof. Social distancing. We're all in this together in an abundance of caution, in these uncertain times. Pivot, unprecedented, Karen, sus as in suspicious. And then last but not least, I know, right? So that's their list from Lake Superior. We're gonna come back to a couple of these terms uh, after, but I wanna get through the list first so so you know what they are. Dictionary.com hones in on, and again, here I quote, words that were once cool, become obsolete, meaning shift. And sometimes we realize that words once thought of as harmless are actually inappropriate and even offensive. So their list goes like this, dumb, psycho, powwow, lame, crazy, OCD, and tribe. You likely hear a theme. This is largely words that malign mental health issues, dumb, psycho, crazy, OCD, or physical issues such as lame, Those make up the majority of the list. And the two remaining words, powwow and tribe, are now inappropriate because of their origins. We're going to talk more about tribe here in a second. So if you're interested in diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, any any of those and hold those as values, this is a really interesting list to spend a little more time with. And if this is new new territory for you and or intriguing, I'd encourage you to listen to episode 15 from this podcast with Elizabeth Ralston on making marketing accessible to all and or, depending on how much time you have, episode 29 with Ian Adair, who talks about the stigma around mental health needs um, that still persists. Okay, let's turn our attention now to Big Duck. Their focus is on the fact that, and I quote, everyone may read the same sentence slightly differently, but the goal is that they will all leave with a shared understanding or connection. So words that I may intend one way, you may hear differently, and they're looking for examples of that so that we can be attentive uh, to those missed opportunities. So their list is as follows. Pivot, unprecedented, now more than ever, diversity, best practices, master, tone deaf, blind to, other ableist language, 
again, episode 15 with Elizabeth Ralston is kind of a masterclass in this. So great one to listen to. They go on to have low hanging fruit and they also include change maker or change making. This is, and they, they say this specifically, it, they, they have it on the list because it is like mission driven. So for their audience, which is nonprofit and social impact organizations, their point is this should be pretty obvious. <laughs> and so maybe there's a better way to use the real estate. So get specific about how you're change making or what your mission is as opposed to just saying it. One thing I appreciate about all of these sources is they explain why the words and phrases are on the list. They explore how they or explain how they source the words. Yet each of them uses a slightly different method, and they offer alternatives um, to these because, like you, you, at least at least I end up reading, and then I'm like, well, now what? For a number of them, so it's helpful, right? It puts the wheels of linguistic change in motion. So let's talk about three of these words in a little more depth, and then one word that I was surprised wasn't on any of these lists, because it, it was hard to pick, to be honest. Like, really, what I want to do is talk about each of these. However, what I was focusing on is words where there's an element to them that is very specific to marketing. So the first one from um, Lake Superior's list is, we're all in this together. Now, anytime you see the word we, anytime you see pronouns, and this is, you know, right back to James Honeybaker's wonderful work, you really want to hit the pause button. And you want to be asking yourself, when I say we, does the person receiving this or hearing this, do they see themselves as part of the we, okay, or not? If they don't, with pronouns, you always run the risk of actually alienating people further who aren't part of part of the we uh, yet, part of your community, part of your organization, part of your mission, whatever it's going to be, okay. So be attentive to that. The other thing about this phrase, so there's the pronoun piece. There's also, we're all in this together. Yes, true. Globally, we all went through this pandemic called COVID and it impacted different people differently. Communities of color, people of color, those living in marginalized communities, those living with invisible abilities or disabilities and challenges. Like this just really had a disparate impact. So to glibly say, not that any of you would glibly say this, however, I have seen this a lot, right? We're all in this together. And the, the intent behind that is fantastic. And you want to make sure that for your audience, people are going to be nodding along with you. Like, yeah, okay, we are, are all in this together. Because otherwise, you run the risk of sounding, and I'm going to use a term from on the list. No, I'm not. You, you come off as being like inconsiderate. I think this is where I would go with that, right? Not tuned into the, the needs, wants, like where your audience and your community are at. So definitely use with great caution this expression, we're all in this together. All right. The word that I want to focus on from Big Duck's list is actually tribe. Nope. Yes. Tribe is from dictionary.com, not Big Duck. I retract. <laughs> I'm a fan and have been since it came out of Seth Godin's book called Tribes. And he, in that book, he describes tribes as follows. A tribe is any group of people, large or small, who are connected to one another, a leader, and an idea. For millions of years, humans have joined tribes, be they religious, ethnic, political, or even musical. His example is, think of the deadheads. <laughs> so, okay, that seems innocuous enough. However, dictionary.com gives a little history on the word tribes. 
And it goes like this. Usage of tribe dates back to the 1200s and derives from the Latin tribus, which originally related to the divisions of Vodine groups in ancient Rome. Didn't know that. So that's a fun fact. But here's where things get dicey. Tribe has been used throughout history by colonizers to describe indigenous groups throughout the African and American continents. And many consider this usage to be offensive because it promotes stereotypes about native cultures. And they go on to point out that you know, casual use of tribe glosses over these important issues and popularizes a word that has harmful connotation for many groups. So I started using tribes when I got a little tired of the um, vagueness of community. For, and again, from a messaging perspective, I have nothing against community. I love community. <laughs> uh, but from a messaging perspective, it can be so vague as to like not resonate with folks who either are part of your community or you want to invite into the community. And in the examples they give, the alternatives to the word tribe, they give four and I'll read them just because I thought they were really interesting. The first is these people are my soulmates. Find your people. We are kindred spirits and I'm so grateful for this community. Okay, can we just, these people are my soulmates and we're kindred spirits. I feel like this is a little bit risky territory unless you're like a dating site. I'm just saying those to me have that connotation. Could just be my mind share. I don't know. Let's go to community because we're right back there to community. So safe, so cozy, so boring and vague. So what do you do about this, right? I mean, community is important. Community is where it's at when it comes to a lot of the work that listeners of this podcast are doing. I think the, the, the thing to be mindful of, attentive to, is what do you mean by community? How can you give it contours? How can you make it specific so that people know if they are part of that community and or if they want to be a part of it? I mean, are you talking about coworkers, your community of coworkers generally? Or are you talking about your coworkers who are also fellow lovers of a strong cup of black tea with a dash of milk and sugar? Listeners of this podcast know that's my favorite tea combo. Or a different type of community might be people who are hell-bent on figuring out how to eradicate follicular B-cell non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay, that's a type of cancer. Now, you may be listening to me like, oh my gosh, Erica, I'm not going to get that specific. That makes me very uncomfy just listening to you talk about that. That's totally fair, right? That is totally fair. You care deeply and passionately about the work you're doing. And also what comes with that is a yen to appeal to as many people as, as possible. If you're having that moment, push pause on this episode and go listen to episode five, who are your true believers? Because in that, I kind of lay out the case for specific in marketing equals effective. All right. And just, I want to honor that feeling of like, but I want it to resonate with as many people as possible. Uh, Yes. And (laughs) yes. And so go listen to that and be thinking about every time you use the word community, what do you really mean? Okay. That brings us to the term best practices from big ducks list. I'm shining the light on this for, for many reasons. I mean, we see in marketing like daily, daily downpour really of marketing best practices. And I want, I want to know the fact that I have put out to the world some of my own ideas about best best practices. So here is why that term is dodgy. And I'm going to read this from Big Duck's website. They explain, this is less about the phrase itself and more about the structures and norms it's reinforcing. In most instances, whatever has been designated as best practices has been done so within the context of white dominant culture. As many of us continue learning and growing our understanding of ingrained societal oppression, it's important to remember that these best practices come from a point of view that reinforces existing harmful structures. Question the practices and mindsets you're advocating for and how they may fall short 
or where they can be expanded to include other ways of thinking. In sum, and to paraphrase, you know, really question best practices. Most of the time when we're looking for best practice, like if you really think about the Google search, you're looking for a surefire or proven way of doing something. So the point here is there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we all want surefire ways of doing something, right? It's efficient, it's effective, it's all these things. The question becomes surefire or proven by whom and for whom, and make sure that the best practices that you're considering adopting align with your values and make sense for your community, whatever that may be, and just don't take them at face value, okay? So there's also an element, um, just to a little bit state the obvious here, of gatekeeping with best practices. And I sort of said this, like, who's saying that that's a best practice? If you're the one saying it, you're making determinations about, you know, knowledge and access to knowledge and who should know what. So that's, I think that, you know, we're, I'm hoping we're really going to see some shifting in this idea about best practices over the next few years. Curious to see what happens with the term itself, what the best practices around the term best practices end up being, but more profoundly, how, how does this shift our idea about knowledge and norms? And on the topic of norms, I was super surprised that one term wasn't on more, more lists, and it was the term new normal. So Big Duck, you know, explain this a bit, but the concept of normal implies by the name itself a norm, and a norm is something that is usual, typical, or a standard. In North America, many, many, many norms and standards have been largely dictated by white folks, and more specifically, white cisgender men. That's just the history of it, right? So that is the standard against which so much is being gauged, measured, considered, adjusted, all of those things. So we're hearing a lot about the new normal since we're at this sort of point where we're kind of emerging from the pandemic, but also we've, we've had this dual pandemic or this racial reckoning and racial reckoning that has been happening in parallel with this health pandemic. So talking about new normal, there's an opening there. And it's great that we're questioning it. My concern is, does, does new normal move us far enough beyond the old normal? If normal, the word normal is in the mix, change is hard. The new normal would, I mean, it does by definition, is relative to the old normal. So how far, how far are we really going to go on that? I've heard better normals suggested, and I like where that's headed. But it still leaves us with this issue of a standard. And similar to best practices. Who decides that standard, right? Marketing normal or normalcy historically has led to, to like a lot of yuckiness, weirdness, and straight up lies sometimes. I mean, let's say perfume. Perfume ads in general send the same message. Like you could take off the perfume itself and sort of slap on any perfume and the ad would look eerily the same. You know, it's like spritz of it. And if you're a woman, you're like a fairy, ephemeral and wayfish and of course sought after. And if you're a guy, you're of course lusted after. What I find particularly interesting about many of the perfume ads is they involve water, like people coming out of the water and just, this just shows how practical I am. That just doesn't make any sense. Like if you put on the perfume and then you're in the water, you're not going to smell the perfume. So I don't know. They lose me at that. I do understand that they are selling the benefits of looking that way to the feature, which is the perfume, but still why the water? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, what about 
things that are normal to put into our bodies. We've like evolved a bit. We understand that cigarettes are bad to inhale into our bodies. That's normal. But what about like, that's now normal. The norm has shifted over time, which is possible, right? This should give us hope. But we're left with things like alcohol, right? And um, it's normal to drink alcohol. And this, this norm is reinforced. I mean, look at the ads. We just had the Super Bowl recently. Look at those people. Gorgeous, happy, fit, fun-loving. What's not, you know, what's not to want in that? And those Budweiser Clydesdales majestically hauling ass through the snow year after year. If you take a big step back, there isn't actually anything normal about ingesting alcohol. It's technically poison. Weird. And yet we hold it dear. I've just experienced this firsthand as I'm taking a protracted break from drinking alcohol for a variety of reasons, none of which are super extreme. But when I mention this, people are like, did you have a problem? And this cracks me up. And you know, if you're interested in this, um, Annie Grace's book, The Naked Mind, is wonderful. It's very inspirational, very brass acts, all in one. And she points out, which totally resonates. It's like, if I were taking a break from cocaine, I was like, hey, I'm taking a break from cocaine. I just can't imagine any of you would be like, oh, did you have a problem with cocaine? It's like, well, I, you know, I'm sniffing white stuff up my nose. And that seems kind of not so great. <laughs> we would take it for granted. But alcohol is totally different. Even though if you look at the, the information, alcohol is really pretty darn bad for us. It's the seventh leading cause of death and disease in the U.S. It's a known carcinogen. It's like really bad. But 82% of American adults drink it. We think nothing of it. That's the norm. That's the norm. The most expensive ads you will ever see on TV are alcohol ads. There's a lot of money behind perpetuating this norm. And it's, I mean, it's really a testament to the power of advertising and marketing's role in dictating societal norms. Again, all of this is in, it isn't in the spirit of judgment or good bad. It's just like, that's interesting. Let's pay attention to that and let's wonder where our norms come from. If, I mean, if we're going to be going into the new normal, we have to grapple with this stuff. What about norms around beauty? I mean, women are told, as a woman, I'm going to speak more to this, but similar things are, you know, men grow up with similar narratives. As a woman, we're told from a very, very young age that beautiful equals thin, white, blonde hair, and blue white. Okay? And, and we see this all around us, the preponderance of ads. <laughs> and I'm saying this as a white, blonde hair, blue-eyed woman. Okay, so, so I, t- I can tick off three out of the four. Okay, my blonde isn't maybe what it used to be, but we're going to let that go. And I'm the first to acknowledge that because I tick three out of the four of these boxes, this is by happenstance of embodying this norm, the genetic lottery as a will, Right. Yet, and, and I benefit. I did nothing to deserve this, and yet I benefit. That is unearned privilege. And even with that, what do I focus on? The fact that I'm not the size of the models in the magazines, right? I'm not a size zero or two, never have been, never will be. This is completely a rational standard for me to hold myself to. Rationally, I know this is asinine, and yet, and yet my subconscious mind keeps circling back to this standard berating me for the fact that I do not, I am not of that standard or of that norm. Is that normal? That doesn't seem normal, right? And we could get into a whole bunch of subconsciousness, which we will as it relates to marketing. And, you know, 80% of our thoughts every day are recycled. We have 60, 70,000 thoughts in our brain on a daily basis. 80% of those are recycled and the vast majority are negative. That's so messed up. Like, actually, if you think about it, 
if you think about the way you quote unquote market to yourself every day, it, you know, the way you want to market externally would be exactly the opposite of that. Exactly the opposite. Yet that's what we're up against, right? So we perpetuate this singular version of beauty when it pretty much is messing all of us up. It's reductionist and it doesn't serve us. And we know that rationally. And yet, so it goes. And this is shifting a little bit. Like, I feel like this is one of those examples where there's hope. And people like Katie Storino, um, founder of Megababe, author of the 12-ish blog, the genius behind hashtag make my size. If, you're, if you want a little digression and you're on Instagram, check out hashtag make my size, where she's just beautifully inviting, you know, big name fashion brands and companies into this new, this new normal, right? Of saying, so what she does is she goes and she tries on the largest size in any store. Usually it looks ridiculous and doesn't fit her at all because she's like a size 16, 18, depending. And she just is like, hey, I love your stuff. Could you make bigger sizes? That'd be awesome. And she has such an enduring way of doing it. It's totally worth checking out. She's seriously trailblazing, right? And she's making the old normal look stodgy and irrelevant, passe. We still got a long ways to go on this, but we are making a little bit of progress. I mean, I'm not saying the Victoria's Secret angels have fallen, okay? But that size zero standard is slipping a bit, it would seem. So I'd add new normal and definitely normal to the list of words to which we want to be attentive going forward into 2021 because it's, its implications are so far reaching. And, and because normal is such a normal word, we kind of gloss over it, even though it's a content word. It's a content word, not a function word. So our minds might notice it. And um, what might we surround it with? How might we question that? As we are invited to question all the words and phrases on these lists, what they mean, what we intend, is what you're saying landing on the ears, the minds, the hearts of the people that you're communicating with and you want to connect with. No good or bad, just raising the questions, right? So deep appreciation to Lake Superior, uh, Big Duck and Dictionary.com and all the others who take the time to, to harvest these terms and really give us an opportunity to question the language we're using and see what we want to avoid and what we want to embrace. Let's give all of these words a good think. Do good, be well, and keep being awesome. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.